Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. If you had forgotten from two weeks ago, we're in 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul was just talking about the children of Israel, and he was talking about them participating in all the things that God had to offer them. And he references things for them that are displayed in what we do in church with the same bread. We eat of the same bread. We drink of the same cup. All these things are spilling together. And he says, and yet, even though all those things, and you just think back to the children of Israel and the parting of the Red Sea and all the things that they saw, and yet they still, might I say, caved. The four things that Paul specifically says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is they gave into sexual immorality, they gave into idolatry, they put Christ to the test, which in uh, the example that is given to us is by simply saying and questioning God's motives. If you may remember when we talked about this last time, I said that hits a little, but instead of saying it hits a little too close to home, anybody remember what I said? Hits a little too close to what? house, right? Because questioning Christ and the, the example that was given from the Old Testament is by basically saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm not for sure. I, I think you're in control, but I'm starting to think you may have done these things just to make me fail or just to bring me down. And questioning what God is doing, that's putting Christ to the test. And then finally, one that I think we're all guilty of to some way, shape, or form, Paul gave the example of the fact that they griped and complained. Paul's lesson from this is found in verses 11 and 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which says this, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. If you're ever wondering what's one of the, one of the points of that Old Testament stuff, here's one of them, for our instruction on whom... For us, on whom the end of the ages have come, we're at the end times. And then here's his lesson. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. Careful, lest you fall. We all ought to be careful. If you're here today... And you don't think that you ought to be careful in your spiritual walk. You ought to be careful. Especially if you're sitting here going, I don't really need to be that careful. I'm doing pretty good. You, most of all, ought to be careful. Paul Barnett, one of the commentators that I've been reading for 1 Corinthians, said this of this passage. He said, the apostle's warning is like a lighthouse beacon to all believers since. Travel into the waters of sin and shipwreck awaits you. I like that statement. A beacon since Paul's day through the last 2,000 years. You're not careful. You travel into those waters of sin and there's something awaiting you. It's shipwreck. And some of you know personally what that means and what that looks like. But there's hope. Hope for two reasons. One, because the very next verse gives a glimmer of hope. So Paul says, take heed lest you fall. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. The very next verse is going to bring in some hope. So there's hope for two reasons here. Number one, because Paul's going to give it. Number two, because I'm only preaching one verse this week. 
Doesn't that make you happy? You'll see, I didn't see as many people as I thought get happy about that. I'm only preaching one verse this week, just verse 13, that's it. But it's a really important verse. And I'm going to break it down a little bit by little bit. Um, I think we'll get to the point really quickly. But I kind of want you to think about this less as just a sermon and more as just almost like a little, a little conversation, a little session together. I was thinking about this as we were coming in and as we were in here and during the songs. I was thinking about this again and again, that we're all a bunch of sinners. Right? Yeah. Every single one of us. I, I had a verse that I was going to mention at the end, so it's still in the end, but I had to add it to the beginning as well because I, I, I love this particular verse, so it's going to come up again at the end, but I want to pop it up here right now. It's 1 Timothy 5.24. It's Paul the Apostle writing to Timothy, a young pastor. And he says this in the middle of a little thing. I'll tell you the context. He's talking about picking and, and choosing leaders in your church. And Paul, in the middle of that, he makes this little comment. He's very valid, very important. He says, the sins of some people are conspicuous. Boom. Obvious. Going before them. It's a judgment. But the sins of others? I think some versions even say, come trailing later. It's interesting, because we're all sinners in this room. Some of you, your sins are conspicuous. Some of you, your sins may be just under the surface. It's an interesting verse, is it not? An interesting verse to me. Personally, I love and prefer the conspicuous ones. They seem to be the more what we might describe as heinous, at least in mine. But I prefer, just personally, especially now, did you guys know I've been a pastor here for 10 years? Did you guys know that? In the last 10 years, I, I've come to love the conspicuous and despise the ones that come trailing later. Because they always catch me off guard. Every single time. I've also come to think that maybe some of God's most loving deeds is to bring sin to a point of conspicuousness for your sake as well as ours. Because it brings it all out in the open. I think there's too many people that go along thinking they're okay and these sins lie buried. That's a personal note. Let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, because I think there's hope here for every single one of us sinners. Whether your sins are conspicuous or whether they're buried underneath, whether you're dealing with them, maybe with some accountability from a few others. Maybe you have others involved, they're helping you. Maybe it's just you feel like you're all on your own. There's something here that's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this. And I'm going to do a little bit at a time. The first phrase is this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now let's pick this apart a little bit further. This word temptation, this word can be translated 
and this is going to throw some of you off with your, your theological understanding, but this word that's translated temptation is also translated, it's found, in fact, this particular one is found 21 times in the New Testament. Of those 21 times, 12 times it's translated temptation. Nine times it's translated as either test or trial, most often trial. Now, this might be confusing you. What about you? Do you feel like that? Wait a minute. I thought those were two different things. Trials, temptations. Two different words for us. Do they feel like different things to you? Heads, yes, no, anybody? Kind of the same. Do you feel the overlap at least? Um, it's interesting to me that in this passage, they, it's the same. I mean, this word, the same word is sometimes translated trial. So when we read it and we say, no temptation, no trial, there's, there's a little bit of overlap. The difference comes down to, with these words, uh, the context, the surroundings. Okay, now I'm going to hope to illustrate this for you in just a minute. Um, I want you to think about this word that's translated temptation, trial. And the reason why we choose to use the word temptation versus trial depends on a few factors that come into play. Okay? Uh, I'm going to give you another verse, and then I'm going to give you an illustration. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. See the little highlighted one there? Guess what? Same Greek word that's translated temptation. Here it is. Kind of all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay, so now I'm going to try to help you think this through. And I robbed the kitchen. Now, I know for some of you, the cakes might not have been the thing. Smell. Can you smell that chocolate? Mm, wait, which one is... How about the chocolate cake? I know how my wife feels about cake. Some of you, I should have put some ham on here. That would have been the thing that got you, right? Mm, wait a minute. How about you? Cake or pie? No, none of these? Would have been the ham, wouldn't it? It's back there. Did you smell it when you came to church? Did you smell it wafting out? How about you guys? Cake? Pie? Oh, he's going to... Go ahead. You want to take... He's, he's giving... Now... Now, it's interesting. I, I'm using this illustration because I think this picture is exactly what we're talking about. For some, now this thing in and of itself could be, have two different impacts on depending on who you are and what your tastes are and even your state of being in the moment. Right? For some, this is a temptation. Now, it's only a temptation and considered that way if I also said, you can't have this. No. Suddenly, what happens? Like my diabetic father-in-law. Um, really want it now. Yeah, really want it. I think that's pecan pie. I'm going to slap you. Oh, man. <laughs> and so, so you, 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 you see, okay, so you can't have it. There's, there's reasons. It, temptation. Uh, someone who's on a diet, right, and choosing not to. They're all on board. And so it's less of a temptation, but it is definitely a bit of a trial. Like it's a test. Can I look at this? Can it be placed before me? And I'm going to say, no, can I do that? Right? It can be different. Now some, place this before, going to go, not a problem. Right? Denise was like, no. But if I would have had the big plate of ham right here, 
right, that you smelled coming in, you were like, right? You would have dove in. This is, this is what it's like. Temptation, trial. It depends. See, the, the, the factors of who you are, what's happening, your circumstances, whether or not it's prohibited, all those things tie into what it ends up being. Does that make sense? Now I'm just checking to see where your eyes are all going. Uh, my. I'm going to hide that behind that speaker. Maybe it'll come back out again. Count it all joy, brothers. Now, so on the one hand, from this passage, we can learn, this is James. On the one hand, something like this, God ordains, we understand that, God ordains. Uh, James actually goes on later than this, says God does not tempt anyone. Uh, it's the same word, but we know that God ordains the trial. And so from God's perspective, what is it for? It's there to build steadfastness, endurance, Satan, same event. What's he trying to do? Destroy you. Get you to go against what God says you ought not to do. But there's hope here. If we go back to this, there's no temptation that has overtaken you, that you've encountered, you've come across, whether at any point previously or coming up. This, this just means that it's a grab to hold of you. You've run into. That's all it means. There's no temptation that has overtaken you. It is not common to man. Now, that word common to man, that's actually one word in the Greek. Uh, there's not a good word that we could use. Think of it as uh, human-ish. There's no temptation that's not just the essence of being human. Okay? Human-like, human-esque. Okay? The situations we face are all typically human situations. It's Paul, what Paul is saying here. All these temptations that we see as temptations versus trial. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is we've all experienced it. There's not one that you've experienced that isn't ultimately common, isn't ultimately human for you to face. Let me dig in a little bit deeper as to why I think that is, why it's common to man. Because some of you might think, man, that pie, that wasn't a temptation at all. And there's some sins that we go, I've never been tempted with that particular thing. Some are going, man, that, that, that's consuming to me. How is it common to me? Let's, let's dig in a little bit more. Going back to James. Understand James verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14 says, But each person is tempted. Okay, and it's transla the translators are translating it as tempted in this case instead of tried. Uh, right, because of the context. It, it feels like that temptation, the way we would think of it, because of what? Notice what it says. When you're lured and enticed. Both these are either fishing or hunting terms. Right? Now, I'm not either one of those. Ask my family. I know we've got some fishermen. We've got some hunters in here. And don't we have some... Aren't there certain lures that lure certain things better than others? Absolutely. I don't know what any of them are. Every time I've gone fishing, all I've gotten is nothing. It just never works for me. But that's what those words mean. Lured, enticed, pulled, drawn away. Kind of like that aroma from that chocolate. And I see my mother-in-law, I know that, was, that would have been her thing. If I would have gotten any closer, that brownie would have gone missing. <laughs> if I would have had a Hershey's candy bar. Amen. On, <laughs> see? I almost got one, but I thought it wouldn't last the service. It would be gone. That chocolate, right? 
So for some, there's things that draw, entice, lured, entice, and like for her, it would have been that, right? Pecan pie, right? Ham, right? It just depends on what it is. It depends on who you are, but this is what it is. We're tempted when we're lured and enticed by what? Does it say by Satan? What's it say? By our own desire. This is why it's common to man. We all get want. We all understand that. And so I can hear somebody struggling with, with their temptation, and even though I'm not tempted by that particular thing, I totally know what you're, where you're coming from. For me, it's also food. Love food. Very tempted by food. Right? And there's other things as well. We, we all have these different things, but it's tempted. Why are we tempted? And this is why it's common to man. Um, it brings me to another particular passage um, that reminds me of this because even Christ in his humanness, see, Jesus, though fully God, was also fully human. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest talking about Jesus who, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is but one who in every respect, in all ways, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, when he was here, endured temptation, all the same ones that we've had to endure, in all the same ways, and yet he did it without sin. This tells me a couple things. Because this changes a perspective if you didn't have it before. One, it, it, it's not a sin to be tempted. You understand that? The temptation itself, it depends on how it comes to you. The temptation itself, having that Jesus was tempted. We know this for sure. Jesus was tempted. In his humanness, he was tempted. I used to struggle with that, thinking that I, I would feel guilty that I'd even been tempted. God does not call us to not be tempted. He calls us to not sin. There's a difference. Two, for me, being tempted wasn't a sign of spiritual weakness. Christ identified what it says there in our weaknesses. He understood human weaknesses. And it's not a sign of spiritual weakness because you're being tempted. Jesus himself was tempted in weaknesses. He sympathized with weakness, hum humanly speaking. He did it without sin. I used to think that if I was a better Christian, you ever tried to defeat sin that way? Have you ever, have you ever tried that? Some of you are nodding your head. You ever tried to, uh, okay, in order to defeat sin, in order to stop sinning, I need to stop. You, you, ultimately, what you're really doing is trying to stop being tempted. Yeah? If I could just stop being tempted. So then you thought, man, maybe if I was a better Christian. And so you read your Bible, praying, and then, but then you get tempted, and you'd, you'd sin, and you'd think, man. And, and something happens in that moment. We're blaming the, the fact that we sin on the temptation. But see, I mean, this, this whole thing starts to tie together. That, that's not, you didn't sin because you were tempted. Even Christ was tempted. Are the wheels starting to click here? Interesting. Think it through. Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. That leads me to another thing, but I'm going to get ahead of myself, so I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
No temptation is overtaking that is not common to man. We face all sorts of situations that will work on our natural inclinations. We are all over the place, are we not? Pulled and tugged by the things that we want and we desire and we crave and some of them naturally, some of them aren't even naturally bad things in and of themselves, but we crave them so much that we begin to sin against God to try to get the things that we want. And there's some things that God just says, no. Stomp our foot. And we're all over the place. And so here we are. And we could easily just be dragged in every direction, spineless. And some of you know exactly what, because you felt like you've been that way in your life. And I've been that way. Feel like no control over just I want this and want that and it's just pulling me every direction. Then there's this little truth. It's really a big truth, isn't it? Us, God, faithful. I, I read that and I pictured it in my head and I, I tried to find a good image. I just couldn't find anything that would go along with it. I just pictured it in my head like waves of the sea, and I, I, you'd think I would have been able to find one, but waves of the sea crashing against one solid rock. That's the image that comes to my head when I read this, man. Temptation, God is faithful. But now, let's unpack how he's faithful with you in temptation, okay? God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That word that's translated ability is the Greek word dynamo. Does this sound familiar? What, what word do you think we get from that word? Dynamite. Power. Okay? He will not let you be tempted beyond your power. You won't be tempted beyond your power, your, 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 the ends of your strength. He won't let you be, I mean, that's, I'm just, it's funny because right now, what, I'm, what am I doing? Am I not just saying the verse over and over again, emphasizing different words? I'm just telling you, this is what the truth is. He, God, will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. The temptation can never, if this verse is true, can never overpower you. Might feel like it. Now, let's ask that question for yourself. Doesn't it feel like it when it's your temptation? Doesn't it feel overpowering? God, in his faithfulness, and he's ultimately faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond even, even a hair, a little bit. The, the, the strength rating that you have because of God, he knows, and he's not going to let whatever the temptation is be more than your strength rating. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your power. Hmm. This is sounding good, isn't it? But this verse just keeps on giving. 
Paul is now going to tell us how God won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. Because I want God to keep me from being tempted beyond my ability by, man, this is a big temptation. Him just take it away. See, I go back to that same default. I like, man, I'd be, a, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you right now. I would be an amazing Christian if I was never tempted. <laughs> Anybody else in here like that? Man, I would be the best Christian. If I would just stop being tempted to do the wrong thing, I'd be the best Christian the world has ever seen. See, stupid temptations. It's everybody else's fault that I've given it and I'm not the best Christian in the world. Okay, we probably don't say it that way. But isn't that kind of what we think a little bit? Someone like, like, we may not say it that way, but we think that my only way to overcome this thing is if the temptation would just go away. Now, God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. You ready for these next words? You may not like them. But with the temptation. Hmm. I was hoping that'd say, but away from the temptation, but with the temptation. So God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability. But right there with it, in the middle of it, the chocolate cake is right in front of your face. But with the temptation, what does he do? Does he take it away right away? No. He will also provide the way of escape. No, wait a minute. What does that sound? Ooh, I like that word escape. Now, this does not necessarily mean that you will be able to get away from the temptation every single time. We're going to see that in the very next phrase. Paul Barnett puts it this way. He says, whatever the temptation we face or the trial we must endure, we are not locked in by it. That's what this is talking about, this way of escape. We're, we're still with the temptation, the way of escape. Listen to how Paul phrases it next that you may be able to endure it. Endure is sometimes translated in some versions as bear. It literally means to bear up under something. I picture my students at school sometimes who they don't have a locker, so they put everything in their backpack. And they're walking through school. It's especially funny when you see the, the tiny freshmen, right? Some of them are little tiny, and they got the backpacks as bigger than they are. Like I'm waiting for them to tip over and just be like a turtle, you know? Um, but, but this is the image that you may be able to endure. So this, the backpack's on. Bear up under it. Let's take this together. Let me read through the passage again. No temptation has overtaken you. It is not common to man. We're all going through the same stuff. You don't have some type of exemption clause. But, but for me, it's different. No, it can't do that. See, it's gone. Okay? God is faithful. Maybe we aren't, but he is. And here's his side of the bargain. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. That escape is that you may be able to endure it. The escape is that you are not locked in. You might think that you are, but you're not. There's some phrases that die under this passage. How about this phrase? I can't. You ever said that in a situation? Does that, does that statement, I can't take it 
anymore. Does that phrase stand up under the scrutiny of this verse? Doesn't it crumble? So next time you say that in this verse, sweeps in, and you think, I can't take it anymore, and, and you, you're about ready to give in to the, the wrong, maybe it's the wrong reaction, the wrong attitude, the wrong response, whatever it is you're being tempted to do, all of a sudden, I can't take it anymore, I, and what you're telling yourself, this, this lie that's come to you, I can't take it anymore, and you're getting ready to justify your sin, and suddenly God's truth comes sweeping in. That's not true. How about this one? This is just too much. It's just too much. Maybe you might say, God's asking too much of me, or God's demanding too much of me, or this situation is, is beyond me, or the lie that I've told myself many times is, is there, there are people in the world that are equipped to handle certain things. They're strong people, tough people. I mean, they, they, they can handle tough situations. And I'm not that person. So God, he, he put me in a situation that only that tough people normally handle. And I, I look at God and I go, God, do you, did you forget who I was? I'm Matt Harmless. I'm not a tough guy. I need to be on a beach sipping margaritas. <laughs> Pastors shouldn't say that, should they? That's the temptation. You guys remember Jimmy, don't you? You remember that? Okay. That's the temptation. I, I can't handle this. Life is too hard. I can't handle I, I should be. This verse just demolishes that in my mind. I can't say it anymore. I can't say it's too much. God says, Matt, you know, it's not, not too much because you know this verse now. Some and I'll put myself in this category, have fallen into sin, the same sin, again and again and again. Addictions. Secret sins. We think they're secret. Pornography. Sexual immorality. You can use Bible's word, fornication. Lustful thinking. Uh, issues with same-sex attraction, these, these things that we think of as these secret sins, we fall into again and again and again, and some struggle again and again and again. For some, it's things that we deem as small sins or not that big of a deal. Profane speech, gossip, envy. You ever think of envy as a big one? Maybe you don't think that's such a big one. That's not that big of a deal. How about Gossip. Little white lies, dishonesties. Maybe you've been convicted, I gotta stop. The habit's too firmly ground in. Oh, is that true? Is it too anything? Or how about the sins of that's just the way I am? I'm just an angry person. Fits of anger. Is that okay? You're tempted? It's just me. I'm going to get angry. You, you, no, you don't have to. The verse demolishes that. 
There's no situation, temptation that is overtaking you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. And with that temptation, he offers a way of escape that you may be able to bear up under it and respond the way God would have you. How about laziness or selfishness? You may have gotten to the place where you go, that's just me. If it's sin, it doesn't have to be. God has something else for you, and he's provided a way of escape because of his faithfulness that you may be able to bear it. Because of this verse, you can say, I'm going to stop, I'm going to change. But I think it's going to be different. Maybe you're even thinking when I said that just then, you thought, I've tried that before. Anybody ever had something that's just this lifelong sin, and you've tried, you've tried, you've tried, and it feels like it's so difficult to stop, and you've even had those times like, never again! Anybody ever had that? And so then when you hear somebody saying, it's time to never again, and you go, I've tried that. Let me propose to you that maybe you've tried it the wrong way. I think we often try it in terms of willpower. I mean it this time. Arr! Right? And then the cake comes up. Now, you've been trying to avoid the cake, but something happens in your life. Now, I'm all for, like, if you know something's a temptation, steer clear of it. Actually, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 14. We'll get there later. That's, that's next week. But the circumstances have brought you to cake. And it's there. And the option is there. And maybe instead of standing in front of you, I'm in a closet. And nobody can see me chowing down in my gluttonous ways on my cake. Right? So it comes. And you say, okay, it's willpower. Willpower hasn't kept me away from there, there I am again. I want to recommend to you and suggest to you that maybe that's not the issue. It's not about willpower any longer. You already are not being tempted beyond your power to begin with. I want to suggest to you that it might be an issue of faith. Are you believing God and taking God at his word? Because he says that he's faithful. He says he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And I want to suggest to you right now that in those moments, it might be because you're believing a lie instead of believing truth. It might be as simple as that. Now, there could be other issues. Maybe the bottom line, the truth is you get right down to it and you, you got the opportunity to go, I don't even care what God thinks. I want this more than I want to do what God. That's a whole different problem, is it not? I'm talking to those of you in this room that are like, I want to please God. I know what he says. I'm trying to do it. And, and I've, I've failed so many times. I've about given up on trying this again. And I'm suggesting that maybe it's been an issue of faith, not willpower. Maybe what needs to happen in those moments is for you to simply believe God. Say, okay, Lord, I believe you said that this isn't. Now your, your head is going to say, you can't say no. You can't do something different. Are you going to believe God in that moment and do what he says? This brings me back full circle. 1 Timothy 5.24 It 
We're all sinners. Are we not? Every single one of us in this room, we're all sinners. The sins of some are conspicuous. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. Whatever state you're in and situation you're in, if you've come to this point, if you're sitting here today going, I know there's things I've needed to work on and need to grow in, today might be that day, not, not of like coming forward and making this, I've made a decision now. Maybe that's not the issue. Maybe the issue is you just haven't been believing God. Today might be a day that maybe you didn't even know that verse was in the Bible. Now you do. This is how God is working in your life. He's brought this truth to you. Maybe you've been consumed by the lie that it's too much, it's too difficult, it's too challenging. God has just brought this truth in. That's not the case. God is faithful. And with the temptation, he offers a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, one of the joys that I have, and I'm using my words carefully here, one of the joys that I have as a pastor, I mentioned to you one of the challenges is at the beginning is those with the sins that trail after. One of the joys that I have is with the sins, and this might seem odd to some of you, but I'm a firm believer in an enjoyment of the conspicuous sin. We're all sinners. I would rather know right up front this is what we're dealing with and this is what we're, what's going on. I would take a church full of repentant sinners any day over any size congregation of prideful, righteous people. Because frankly, we're all broken anyway. It's just so much easier to work with when we all know it. Would you agree? Part of it being that way is that as Christians, as we come together, there are some things that are more conspicuous than others, and some things have to be brought up and said as a, as a, as a church family. And we have an interesting situation with our church family that not all of you are members, but we're all still here part of the same church family. Um, I'm going to read a short little passage, and then I actually have somebody that's going to come up and share something. Um, that ties right in there, where this particular passage, and it's just coincidence that it's come up this way. I, I take the back, not coincidence. This is God. <laughs> that I would be on this verse at this time for this season. Because this verse has become a foothold of hope. As it has for many. But the person I'm going to have come up here in just a little bit. For them it's a foothold of hope. That change can happen. In order, before this person comes up, I'm going to tell you, um, Luke chapter 17 ties in a little bit here. Jesus is speaking. It says, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. I feel like we all ought to say amen to that. <laughs> He shifts gears a little bit. He says, but woe to the one through whom they come. Meaning, like, woe to the person like I did with my father-in-law earlier. I know he shouldn't have this pecan pie. And I'm like, have some pecan pie. Right? I mean, that's, that's a whole different level. Oh, man. Did you snack a piece? Uh, that's a whole different situation for someone that, that brings it in. 
And let's be honest, there are people in this world that relish in the joy of the, the sin. They're not at all interested in what God has. And, and Jesus says, woe to the one through whom they come. So there's people that are pushers of sin. Woe to that person. And Jesus makes this comment. It would be better for that person if a millstone were hung about their neck and they were cast into the sea. What could be better? I mean, that seems like a quick death. But that would be better than what God has for that person that's a pusher of sin. Woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his neck and were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Then he says this. He flips back around. Pay attention to yourselves. He's talking to his disciples. I'm talking to you. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother... And this word, Adelphos, brothers or sisters, sins. What do you do in this passage? I want you to say it. Rebuke. It means, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Too many churches don't have this step. If you're sinning, hey, let's address it. Some would prefer a church that never talked about it. You could come in. What they really want is a social club. You're not going to get that at Edgewood. Brother, sister, sins, rebuke them. And if they repent, what are we to do? Forgive. Are you ready for the next? I know you're reading ahead. They sin against you seven times in the day, meaning in the same exact day. And turns you seven times. And says, important word there, says, I repent. What must you do? Forgive. Uh, I don't have it up there, but the very next verse, Paul, uh, Peter talking to Jesus says, Lord, I need more faith. <laughs> you understand why you might say that? Seven times in the day, I need some more faith. Well, I've got somebody that's going to come up, and they're going to share how they've sinned. Uh, it's of their, their heart's desire that they wanted to do this with you as a church, not just in a little group, because they want you to know, in fact, their exact words, they want God to have all the glory. Now, as a pastor of this church, I want you to say there, there are a lot of churches that have done things like this wrong. This, this is a joy to my heart. I want you guys to know that for, for me, like I said, I would, I would take a hundred Simones any day over somebody that walks in this church and feels like they're pompously righteous. Um, I absolutely, as your pastor, I want you to say I'm convinced of her repentance, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do in her life. Um, I want to invite you in, and like I said, this was completely of her. She wanted, to, she wanted to do this here, and it's of God that we were talking about a verse that's become a point of hope for Simone, right? A foothold of hope in life. Um, I know that many of you have struggled with sins, and let's be honest, some sins are conspicuous. Are they not? 
There are some of, you, some of you in this room right now that have sins that are buried underneath that frankly need to do the same thing that she did. But you, it's just not conspicuous. So if you feel like you can fly under the radar, I praise God for when he brings these things to light. I want to encourage you now. I'm going to pray and I'm going to close. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity for those that you are a part of this church, whether you're a member or not, to offer up to participate in a church that forgives and restores and moves on. The righteous person falls seven times, but what do they do? Get back up. And Simone is back on her feet again, and I'm, I, without doubt, am glad to have her as part of our church. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, for Simone. I thank you that you have brought her to this church. I thank you that you've brought her into our lives. Thank you for all that you've done in her. Lord, I, I, I do. I thank you, God, for that. I wouldn't have it any other way. I praise you for bringing us to this point in this day. Lord, I pray for those in this room that might be struggling with sins that are not conspicuous. I pray that Simone's willingness, her humility to stand up here and to acknowledge where she's gone wrong, but put her faith, her hope, and her trust in you. God, I pray that that would be an inspiration to others in this room, Lord, who have not been willing to do the same thing. God, thank you for this church. God, I don't want to be a part of any other one. Lord, you know that sometimes I wonder what you're doing here at Edgewood, but days like today, I go, thank you. Thank you for letting us be the church that we are. Broken. Messed up. But God, full of your grace. Beggars showing other beggars where there's bread. I pray now that you would be a blessing to each person in this room as they go through their week. Lord, I pray again that you would bless Simone, Lord, in her repentance. God, I pray that you would grant her your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.